When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You are a Boston Bruins hockey fan. Some days, that's about the only thing that can drag you out of bed. Some shows about the Bruins are done from journalists. Others are done just from fans. Well, we're both. This is Unsupervised. You'll get expert analysis and opinions about Boston Bruins hockey, how they're playing, trade deadline and free agency, major event coverage. If it's Boston Bruins hockey, we're in the know and we're talking about it. This is Unsupervised. Now your host, Jake Reiser. I'm back. Well... I guess we're back, in a sense. If you don't remember me, my name is Jake Reiser. I'm the host of Unsupervised. It's been a couple of years since I've been on Stanley Cup of Chowder. Um, we last did this back in 2018, 2019. I'd like to thank the former co-hosts along with me, Colin Beswick and Adam Denhard, who did such a great job helping me build that up from really the ground up. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've been a part of Stanley Cup of Chowder. And with my return, I really wanted to bring this back. But you'll see, we're in a little bit of a new format here. Speaking of the verb see, for those of you watching on YouTube or watching this on Spotify, hello there. It's nice to put a little bit of a face to the name you see on those bylines with all the articles that we push out there. Um, I'm taking over the reins for the podcast, really. I'm going to be the host week to week. I'm going to try and bring you special guests, other writers, other people who are going to be relevant to the hockey world. We're going to be doing some great content. I'm going to try and get this out weekly. And I have a really fantastic guest who you'll see next to me. To start this off, you'll know her as Sweet Annie O.D. on t- uh, TikTok and on Instagram. It's Annie O'Donnell. Annie, welcome on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So why don't we dive right in? Um, we can talk about what happened this weekend because this weekend was hopefully important for the NHL in that it was All-Star Weekend down in Sunrise, South Florida, FLA Live Arena. And, you know, while it was supposed to be an All-Star game... I think the production just felt really junior B. We can start with the skills competition on Friday night, and I just think that was such a mess. Uh, I, I mean, the mess is the perfect word to describe it. Everything. I, I think top to bottom, everything was just so disorganized. The way they did, they made it more complicated than it needed to be, and I understand they kind of wanted to, like, 
you space it out so people watch. Uh, you know, you're waiting for Sidonovi, you're waiting for uh, you know the hometown kid Matthew Kachuk. Like, why, why split up the breakaway challenge like that? Why break up the fastest skater? Why, like, just so many the goal, even the tendy tandem, like the rules for that. At first, you're like, okay, I got to sit down and like figure out what's going on here. It just, I mean, for the purpose of the All-Star Game, which I think you and I can both agree is no longer about bringing the league's best talent in one place. Um, it's really, it's a fan event. It's a marketing event. It's an event for sponsors. And, you know, like I said, a fun fan event. But in that case, you know, make it more appealing to the fan. I, I, I that's, that's where you're missing me here. And the fact that there were players, and me being a Ducks fan, uh, our representative, Troy Terry, was not in any skills event at all. And at that point, I'm asking, okay, what's the point of having one representative from each team if they're not going to participate in, honestly, the only reason I watch All-Star Weekend is really for the skills competition. I really couldn't care less about the game. But it just, I mean, from the broadcast to the way everything was set up, I, like, I, I see minus D from the weekend. Like, why, what, what, what are we doing here? I think it's funny you call it a bit of a marketing event for the NHL because I think one of the poorest show outs actually were the fans. You could see so many empty seats during the skills competition. They had to fill seats. It was just something was really strange overall. Totally. And it's funny how, you know, the next year it's going to be in Toronto, which will be not won't be a concern from the get go. We already know that. But it's interesting kind of thinking about it because when was the last time cities like, and I understand wanting to put, um, you know, the all-star game in, you know, smaller markets uh, to attract more fans and, you know, kind of get the word out there about the sport and the game itself. But, you know, it's interesting when you think, you know, Boston hasn't hosted one in a long time. Chicago hasn't. Pittsburgh hasn't hosted an all-star game for the entire time that Sidney Crosby has been a Pittsburgh penguin, which to me is just mind boggling. But I don't know. It's interesting. You know, I understand the appeal of putting it in Florida. I understand, you know, the, obviously with the, their team on the uprise and finally winning a playoff series <laughs> this past year and garnering a lot more fan attention. But I just, I, I wonder, I, I understand the strategy, like I said, but I think it's time we, we bring it, you know, bring it back to some of the more established cities too, which is why I like the Toronto's getting it next year. I think a part of the whole local strategy as well were some of the events that happened during the skills competition that made it feel local. Um, The pitch and puck going to plantation golf course, that that, wasn't really successful for me. No, it was boring. Like, I I think golf is boring as it is. You think I want to watch hockey players golf? No. I don't want the golf in the offseason, but it's just... Like, I, it was snooze fest. And even leading up to, like, the breakaway challenges, like, some of the skits and everything. Like, I appreciate, like, Pasta, I, I appreciate the creativity behind his with Happy Gilmore. I thought that was funny. But, like, some of them were just, I mean, I get it. A lot of these guys aren't actors. But, oh, my gosh. Like, the Mitch Marner thing, um, you know, even Matthew Kachuk's was a little ick. But it just i hate to use the word cringe but it was it was borderline there it was close <laughs> it was it was toying with the line of cringe yeah, uh, so Dominic Hashik actually tweeted something interesting about the breakaway challenge today, and it was actually about Sid and Ovi's and letting Sergey come on. 
Um, he thinks the NHL has sunk to rock bottom and that using Ovi's son, uh, I'm going to read the tweet verbatim. The NHL has sunk to rock bottom. Letting Ovechkin's son perform on the ice at the all-star game is spitting in the face of approximately 500 killed, thousands injured, and tens of thousands of kidnapped Ukrainian children. The NHL and Gary Bettman must pay for this heinous act. What what is the league supposed to do here? Ovi and Malkin, or Ovi and Crosby and Malkin and Kaprizov and a whole number of other NHL players who are of Russian descent are some of your biggest talents. I know Kaprizov willingly didn't perform in any of the skills competition events, but there's still a, he's a huge part of the marketing. Ovi, his chase to 800, his chase to Gretzky is going to be a huge part of the NHL for the next couple of seasons. I don't know what you do if you're the NHL. Your hands just feel completely tied. Dominic Hoshik is my favorite goaltender uh, in NHL his and all time. I think he's the goat. I love him, but and I want to give him props. He's really, I mean, he's been an advocate. He's been a voice for the Ukrainian people and really stuck by them and really said. And he's stuck. You know, he's very consistent with his viewpoints and he's not letting go. He is holding the gun down to the National Hockey League to really do the right thing here. What he thinks is the right thing here, and. My thing with with Ovi, and I understand with his you know his friendship with Putin, hell his his profile picture is still on Instagram, is still him with Vladimir Putin. But I think a lot of people, um, and maybe a lot of hockey fans, kind of don't understand how different it is in Russia, and the fact that you know how blessed we are to live you know in North America. Regardless, I know there's I know we got Bruins fans outside of the United States and in Canada and everything, but you know. We're, we're extremely fortunate to have things like free speech and to live in a world and a country where we don't have to fear for our safety or our family's safety. Ovechkin doesn't have that luxury, and a lot of these Russian players don't, as we've seen. I mean, Artemi Panarin having to take a leave to take care of family stuff and speaking out against Putin. It's just, it's such, it's such a sensitive, sensitive area here. And you can't fall. Oh, I mean, Ovi's obviously this uh, one of the guy, the greatest goal scorer we've uh, that we have had the privilege of having, you know, in our generation. And you know, honestly, I think the greatest goal scorer the, the game has ever seen. And not marketing him would be an absolute crime. And also, you got Ovi Junior. He's what four, five years old. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why are we bringing? He doesn't know about this. He doesn't know about what's going on. He's just a kid that wants to hang out with his dad, hang out with his favorite players. And loves the game of hockey. I, you know, I, I applaud Kashik for his stance and what he's trying to do. I just think bringing Ovi Jr. into it, it's just, you know, he's a kid. What's the point here? right message wrong target i think that and and i don't want to get i was talking about this with some of the other sb nation people um i don't want to get into the whole topic of there's a right way and a wrong way to protest because obviously hashik being so impassioned for the right cause for um what's going on in the ukraine it, it, you're right. It's just hard to go after a four-year-old like that who just wanted to sit next to his buddies. Kirill Kaprizov incidentally ended up being his babysitter, as we saw during the whole skills competition, <laughs> that which was cute. But uh, you, you, you could have just approached the argument a different way. Uh, and Definitely. I think it, it, it continues to detract from an event that it is supposed to be fun. I actually want to jump back to one of the other events during the skills competition that um, on paper might have looked great, might have been really fun, but 
um, after an article came out from ESPN, ended up, I guess, being a little bit of a nightmare. And that was the splash competition. I know that the players had really wanted that for a couple of years. It was apparently brought back up in St. Louis. This is according to an article by Greg Wyshynski. They saved it till this year. And uh, they had a couple of the influencers who were there testing the surfboards that they were shooting at, and they were getting knocked down fine. But during the semifinals with Makar, some of the boards weren't going down, and they ended up having to do a reshoot from the opposite side because they failed to account that wind was propping up four of the six boards on the right side of that thing. Like, cool event, really fun, but you got to test and make sure that's great. They're very lucky that that wasn't a live event. But again, something that I get a little chintzy, a little fun, but something that they're very lucky wasn't live that you couldn't see the mistakes for. Right. And a lot of people were complaining about, uh, you know, the taped segments and they're like, oh, why isn't this live? And it's like, well, that's that's pretty much why you have to, you know, compete with the elements and things like that happen, which, of course, you know, that's showbiz. You know, you're going to have technical difficulties and things like that. I mean, I thought that was pretty entertaining. I thought that was, you know, as far as, you know, the skills competition goes. I like that they incorporate, um, you know, like, like last year they did it, the Bellagio Fountain in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they incorporate, uh, you know, the host city and try and create some fun in there. Um, it's it's fun. I, I did read that article and it was, it's funny when you kind of hear like, you know, some things that happen. Oh, they had to, you know, technical difficulties, things like that. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> You know, I don't need to talk much about the game on Saturday in general. I think all went pretty smooth sailing there for an, an average day. But we've got about a year until 2024 in Toronto. How do we fix this event? I would love to see the player draft come back. I thought that was so entertaining, so fun. Um, I forget, what what year did they first introduce that? 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. I want to say. What was it Logan? Was it was that the year? Was who was picked last first? It was Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel yeah. Okay, but I just I think that was so fun. Just you know, gives you want to show these players personalities a little bit more. That's I thought that was a great way to do it, and kind of mixing it up a little bit more. You're not seeing the same guys play with each other division wise, but it's I think yeah, bring back the draft. Um, I I mean, I loved the jersey concept this year and fans absolutely, you know, go head over heels over it. So I really think continuing on, I like the reverse retro concept mm-hmm. that they stuck with. I think continuing with that in certain ways. Um, and then just simplifying the skills competition too. Like we didn't need all this jumping back and forth. Let's do one event at a time, get it done. Mm-hmm. One event at a time, time, get it done. Like it's, Less is more. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. You know, going back to skills competitions like 2012 when it was in Ottawa, being able to sit and watch all the guys go up against Zidane Chara in the Heart of Shot competition, that was something that worked because you could see everybody go all at once. The accuracy shooting, I think it was one of the Sedins who won that year. I could be wrong. But to have it broken up the way it was this year was just so disjointed. Totally, totally. And I like... I actually, I was on um, the Jeff Merrick show with Matt Marchese and he brought up the idea to, hey, you have your players voted for the All-Star game, but like bring in specialists. So like guys that normally wouldn't be voted to the All-Star game, but are just very good at certain things, like have a really hard shot or really accurate. And I, I brought up a story um, back in 2011, the Ducks had, you know how some teams have like their own skills competition. Mm-hmm. 
the Ducks hosted one in 2011 and they had all the, you know, fastest skater accuracy shooting, but for, and for accuracy shooting, the only player to hit all four targets on four shots was George Peros. Oh my God. (laughs) That had Timu Solani, that had Saku Koivu, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, like Bobby Ryan was on the team, like just big names, great hockey players, but George Peros, the guy that I don't even think, maybe has 10 goals to his entire career, but he was the one that is the most accurate shooter. And I think that'd be fun. Bring in some of these specialist guys that you know are really good at certain things. Maybe we could also do the opposite. Maybe we could see guys who normally don't do any of this stuff to adjust for fun. Bring in Linus Allmark to do the accuracy shooting challenge. Use a goalie stick. Do the, let the goalies do the fastest skater. That would be funny. I need to see these guys flying around the rink in pads. <laughs> you know, one thing I want to see them bring back in 2024, I do love that they make everything so local. Can they bring back the dunk tank and just put some maple syrup in it, please? You know, as someone who used to live in South Florida, it didn't seem like too much of a punishment for some guys to get dunked because it was probably 80, 85 degrees down there. And all of them would come up and whoever was interviewing them would ask, how does it feel? And they all said, refreshing, really nice out here. Make it something a little more of a punishment. Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's put some slime, like make it like Nickelodeon style, get slimed or something like that. See, that would be fun for the actual game broadcast. While I appreciate the technology with the jersey tracking and the puck tracking so you could see who was controlling the puck at any given time, we've seen yeah. the success of the Nickelodeon broadcast that I believe um, the, the NFL certainly done, the NBA's done a couple before. Uh, bring that to the All-Star Game, something fun, because what you're trying to do with this, you said earlier, it's marketing, bring it to the kids. It's not necessarily our demo it's the kids demo you want these kids to watch this event and be like wow i want to watch more of these players how do i do that get them engaged like that totally i mean there's a rumor that um they might be doing something with disney channel they might disney channel might be broadcasting some nhl games and i absolutely love that idea and it makes sense given you know the partnership with espn and abc which is all under under the mickey mouse umbrella so i think that would be the most organic uh organic partnership there but i don't know it's for me the espn broadcast just definitely needs some work too um i think they gotta they gotta switch it up with some of the the broadcasters and the personalities that they have it's just very and i don't want to say stale but like pk suban kevin weeks i think those two were probably my favorite they were just high energy charisma but everybody else was just kind of flat for me and i I hate that because I was so excited about ESPN uh, carrying hockey again, but so far they just have not hit the mark for me about a year and a half into this seven-year partnership. I'm definitely liking TNT over ESPN at this point. You know, as much as I'm not a big fan of Liam McHugh in his current capacity, I think he's a good glue for that entire panel with Biz, with um, everybody who's on the TNT intermission report. They do such a fun job. Like Anson Carter, you mm-hmm. got Wayne, Gret- Wayne Gretzky's boring as boring as boring can be, but I get why <laughs> they have him there. Uh, Longquist too, he's great. No, they did have Rick Tockett, but of course he's in Vancouver now. But no, it's uh, I would like to see more women on that panel. That's my only my mm-hmm. only critique of them. But other than that, um, I think uh, they got a solid crew there. We're about to get to women in just a second. But before we take a quick break, which NHL player do you want to see do the classic Disney Channel intro the most? Ooh, Trevor Zegers. Oh man. <laughs> I have a soft spot for him. Um, he and I are both BU alumni. 
So I love the kid. He'd be He's fun to see. Not an alum. He was there for only one That's true. He's a one and done. That's true. He is a one and done. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he's got that degree yet, even if he was doing stuff. All right. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick 30 second break here. When we come back on the other side of it, speaking of women, we're going to talk about you. I want to talk a little bit more about your platform. But we'll be right back in about 30 seconds here on Unsupervised. Are you looking for a community of Boston Bruins fans to call your own? What about game coverage and articles that bring you the best of the best? That's what Stanley Cup of Chowder is all about. Join us at StanleyCupOfChowder.com for all that and more. You're listening to Unsupervised. Find us on Twitter at Cup of Chowder and find more at StanleyCupOfChowder.com. Now, back to your host, Jake. Welcome back here to Unsupervised. After that quick break, I'm Jake Reiser alongside Annie O'Donnell. You know her as Sweet Annie O.D. on TikTok and on Instagram. And I want to talk a little bit more about you and your platform and what you're bringing to the sports media world. I got a few questions for you to start. What's your favorite sports team or your favorite sports teams in general? My teams are uh, the Anaheim Ducks for hockey, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers for baseball, the Lakers, uh, the Los, I, I was saying full team name, so I'll keep going with that. The Los Angeles Lakers for basketball and the Baltimore Ravens for football. That's quite the and, outlier. And Notre Dame uh, for college sports. What is your favorite personal sports memory? Ooh, um, Personal sports memory. Oh, easy. I scalped a ticket when I was living in Chicago in 2017 to see the Dodgers make it to the World Series and win the NL pennant for the first time in my lifetime. That's incredible. It was insane. I I, I spent money I did not have on a single ticket to sit behind the Dodgers dugout and be there. Oh, it was and it was Kike Hurt. You're the Boston Boston loves Boston's favorite Kike Hernandez. absolutely going yard that entire game it was uh unforgettable the only thing i would change about it was having my dad there with me but other than that uh i loved it speaking of amazing sports moments what is the best sports moment of all time oh of all time wow that's a good one um I mean, would I be biased and it would be not biased, but I feel like, would it be too cliche to say the miracle on ice? Not too cliche. <laughs> that works. I was going to say, you got a lot of few BU alums in there. <laughs> That's true. That Seeing Mike Ruzioni around campus a lot. <laughs> But uh, no, that, that's the first one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I I was I was living in Chicago when the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. I would say that's up there. That was absolute insanity. I don't think I'll ever experience anything remote. If I'm in Toronto and the Leafs win the Cup, that, <laughs> I think that that will rival that for sure. Or when the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl, if I happen to be there. Um, but. Those, I mean, any kind of moment where it's, you know, either the underdog winning or like a drought ending, you just, it's, it's euphoric. It's, it's insane. So I would say anything in that capacity for me would be best sports moment. If you could be the GM of one of your favorite sports teams, which would it be? And what would your first move be? Ooh, um, oh, there's, see, I got options here. It's funny. 
I was like, do I dare say the Lakers? Nah, I would not want to be GM for the Lakers. Um, as much as I think Rob Palinka is absolutely incompetent at his job, um, having to answer to the fan base that is Laker Nation, uh, no thank you. No thank <laughs> you. I, I respect that his job is very difficult, even though I don't think he's very good at it. I don't think I would be better at it. Um See, with the Dodgers, I mean, I think Andrew Friedman does a really good job, but if he does have a lot of money at his disposal, too. I would just spend. I would just, oh my God, baseball fans would hate me. I would just keep, I would try and go after every single free agent. Forget the luxury <laughs> tax. I would just pay it, no problem. I'd be like, here you go. Um, I think I would have more fun being the GM of the Ducks. I think I would have more fun, you know, being in Pat Verbeek's shoes right now as far as, you know, building this, building up this young team, this young core in this rebuild. Um, so I think I would do that. What profession would you be doing if you weren't a content creator? Um, I'd be a bartender. That's fun. Oh yeah. I would be a bartender easily. If I... I, I don't know. I did the nine to five thing after I graduated college and it was just not for me. And I was going to be, when I started content creation and podcasting, um, obviously early on, it wasn't bringing in any money for me. So I was going to, my plan was to be a bartender. And this was beginning of 2020. I moved up to the Upper East Side. I had a connection in. They're like, hey, well, yeah, we'll get you started. I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And then COVID hits. So that. <laughs> That killed that pipe dream for a bit, but I would absolutely be a bartender I, in a dive bar, dive sports bar. Uh, I would, oh my gosh, I love just the people you meet. I love just the vibe, the energy in there. I love interacting with people, just ch talk, you know, talking sports, small talk, you know, you just meet so many different walks of life uh, in those kind of places. So I think that's what I would be doing. I feel like that's totally emblematic of your personality and the content that you put out there. You're fun. You're vivacious. You're just totally relevant and on the ball most of the time. Why'd you start okay. posting content? So I, it's a, it's a, not a long story, but, um, I was working a job that really was absolutely detrimental to my mental health. I was going to bed, kind of wishing I wouldn't wake up in the morning. It was really like, it was a low point in my life. And uh, I ended up getting let go from that job, which was, I knew in that moment, it was going to be the beginning of a whole new life for me. And, but because given in that moment, when you're faced with that kind of adversity, when you're faced with something that, hey, normally people would say, hey, you lose a job. That's, that's a lot. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're like, no, like this is the beginning. What, what do I want to do? Like the world is my oyster here. And I knew I wanted to work in sports. I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't want to do, you know, ticket sales. I didn't want to do anything like that. My favorite thing was talking sports. And, you know, I just love at that time. It was still, I was still nervous about putting myself out there at, out of fear of what people thought of me. And then a couple months go by and, you know, I lost a couple jobs that I, you know, thought I wanted um, working for a sports team, but I, at that moment, I was just like, what do I have to lose here? Like, I, at this point, the only person in my way is me. And I just started, I literally started, I posted like a couple rants on my Instagram. They're still there. I'm keeping them there to like keep myself, remind myself how I started. But that was originally, it was like, I just posted, turned on my camera and just ranted for a minute. And I just kept, po I posted like five of those. And I was finally like, you know what? Like, let's see what a podcast can do. And this was in 2019. 
And it was, I remember my first episode, it had, it was about the possible resurgence of a Mighty Ducks. Uh, it was before Mighty Ducks Game Changers came mm-hmm. out, but it was like the rumors about it. Um, Don Cherry um, getting fired. And then, um, oh, I'm trying to think of that last one topic. I can't remember it, but I just put it out there. And I had a cheesy $15 microphone from Amazon. I recorded it in my apartment in New York that I shared with four other roommates. And I just took off from there. Um, And then COVID hits. So obviously sports aren't happening, but I was still recording the podcast. And like most people in COVID, I got on TikTok. And I was just kind of goofing around. Uh, I said, well, let me record some fun sports stuff and let's just see what happens. And Really, it was the summer of 2020 that, you know, a couple of my videos really first started to take off. And during the bubble, the playoff bubble, and then um, the World Series, and then the MLB shortened season is when things really kind of took off from there and just kind of kept building and just kept creating fun content. I love one thing about me is I memorize movie lines and song lyrics very easily. So it's pretty easy for me to take a scenario from sports and create and um, connect it to either a movie scene or like a TV scene or something like that. It's one of my, that's why like some of my videos are just like get fun skits like that. Um, along with being very, some analytical and putting my thoughts out there. Cause that's, that's really important to me as far as my platform goes is I want it to be fun, but I also want to, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I know, I know the sport. I know the team. I know I can bring something to the table with value, but also sports should be fun. So that's kind of how I want to be as far as my content goes. But yeah, I just, it's, I guess at the end of the day, it was like getting over myself and just uh, being fearless and authentically myself on the internet, which is a terrifying thing to do, especially in 2023 when it's so easy for people to hide behind you know, burner accounts and things like that. And, you know, there's no repercussions for what you say for the most part. But at the end of the day, like if you're securing yourself and you love what you put out there, like you really don't care what anybody says. Yeah, you're right. It is hard to put yourself out there. And there are a lot of people who sit behind anonymous usernames and just sit on their keyboards and put stuff out. The more layers you peel back to reveal yourself, it definitely gets harder to kind of maintain your authenticity because there's this little doubt in the back of your head of what if people don't like what they're seeing? What if people don't like me for who I am? You know, I do a lot of writing for the website, but people can just see the words I type on a page and I can sit back and edit any uh, pieces of content that I want until I'm happy with them and then put them out into the world. The only face they see is maybe my little photo in the byline right there. Doing a podcast in a format like this, this is the first time in a long time I've really put my face out there into the world. And so I'm intrigued to see what the response is going to be to this new format. So I completely understand that, you know, it's such a crapshoot when you put yourself out there like that. And to overcome it is a huge obstacle and it takes so much confidence. And I really commend you for doing that. Well, thank you. You as well. It's a risk, definitely. And it's one that... You know, but like, like like we said, not everybody, not everybody wants to take that risk. And that's why like, there's not as many people doing it. There's not as many people doing face-to-face content and things like that. And yeah, I mean, you gotta, you know, they say, you know, the next, what's the, yeah, what's the saying? Uh, there's one where it's like, you're, you, something is out on the outside of your, your biggest dreams are like goals around like the outside of your comfort zone. Like you're not going to accomplish things by staying safe. And especially in the world of 
sports creation, content creation in general, whether it's podcasting, writing, social media, you know, if you restrict yourself to just one thing, you're really limiting, especially as, you know, certain platforms are just taking off and growing. Like you have to be willing to expand certain places, which is why I commend a lot of sports creators. You know, I've had people reach out to me about TikTok and say, hey, do you have any tips? Do you have any, you know, things I, you know, I'm, I'm starting and I was writing for a long time, but I really want to start putting you know, my stuff in video format, and which is, I think is amazing. I think more people need to do that. We need more positive sports creators on TikTok. There, you know, there's no capacity, especially in hockey too. Mm-hmm. We, you know, hockey TikTok is, it's a smaller group definitely. And there's a few yeah, kind of bigger personalities on there, but we always need more. We need more people on there. So if anyone's interested or anyone has been toying around with the idea of putting their ideas, putting their takes out there on TikTok, absolutely do it. It was National Women in Sports Day recently. And speaking of kind of amplifying profiles, are there any other people who are currently content creators who people might not be aware of that you think people should be following? Oh my gosh, there's a lot of people. Um, are we talking specifically hockey, specifically sports? Um, I, I would say, I mean, we're a hockey podcast, so let's stop focusing on hockey. Um. Kylie Sale, if you are interested at all in any Oilers content, she is absolutely incredible. Um, she works for Oilers Nation and uh, just got hired full time there, but is constantly putting out great content. Um, I mean, I gotta go through my phone. Can I pull up my phone? Am I cheating here? No, you're not <laughs> cheating. You're good. <laughs> there's just oh my god, there's so many women out there, and I that was the one thing I think I will say. And if anyone from I guess sports TikTok is gonna watch this, um. It was it was a little disappointing, I think, because and I think part of it was because Tom Brady announcing his retirement kind of clouded over International Women and Girls in Sports Day. But I was a little disappointed to see that a lot of uh, the male, uh, the men creators like really didn't amplify a lot of female voices um, on Twitter was totally different. Twitter uh, guys, you know, the men showed out on TikTok, not so much, which I thought was disappointing. Um, But Hopefully, I, I I try to be understanding of that, saying okay, there's you know, other headlines happening, but I don't know. I think it's important to, I think it's important to uplift uh, those voices like that. Well, Rachel Dory just got on TikTok as well. Um, she's putting out all sorts of really insightful things about the trade deadline, contracts, and things like that. Um, and she's, I mean, her, I mean, her credentials speak for itself. She's incredible and smart and accomplished. Um, let's see. I'm, I feel so, like such a loser. I'm scrolling through. <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't leave anybody out. Uh, let's see. We're doing hockey stuff. So let's see. Oh, Danny Smith, the Danny hockey. She does Columbus Blue Jackets content. Um, and I'll be honest, like, not to say I've never really cared about the Columbus Blue Jackets. But <laughs> being in California, uh, being in the Western Conference, they're just not really a team that I, I circle on my calendar. Well, maybe I do now, especially after uh, last year's little Nick Foligno and John Gibson mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, from last year. But um yeah, definitely. It's fun to like follow people that are fans of different teams because you learn, you know, a bit more about, you know, whether the team itself or the fan kind of asset there. But I don't know. It's it's uh, a lot of great female creators. Um, let's see. Who else am I missing? Well, uh, Why you happen to be scrolling through TikTok? I've actually got a couple of stats about your own and I want to see how much you know about your own channel. 
Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> what do you think your most watched video is? My most, you went, oh my gosh, my most watched video. Um, okay. I know it's either one of two. Mm -hmm. um, it's either this, <laughs> this video I did about Eminem at the halftime show, or it's about Marcus Freeman uh, this past year <laughs> coaching for Notre Dame. Your first guess of Eminem is right on the money. February 13th, 2022, it has 1.4 million views. Uh, I was like that one. Like, it's always the ones that take the least amount of effort. <laughs> that's the funniest thing about TikTok is that's why when people are like, oh, I put so much work into my content. I'm doing this. I'm doing all the right things. And you're just like, yo, like you can't fight it sometimes. Like it just takes a little bit. Like consistency is key. But sometimes it's literally the one that takes 10 seconds to film is the one that goes viral. Like it just that's why you can't stress too much about the algorithm. You can't st stress too much about going viral and I know you didn't ask this question but I'm, I'm gonna say it anyway is you know as far as like advice goes it's you know make content you want to see don't worry about numbers worry about like the quality of content because you never know who's gonna see it I made a video about this dumb I you, you being in Boston you probably saw it the dumb billboard that that Dodgers fan group put from uh thanks for Mookie Betts outside yep. of it was dumb um, and somebody, and this guy saw the video and shot me a message on Twitter and said, Hey, I've got an opening for a co-host on my radio show. Uh, would you be interested? And I said, hell yeah. And I did, I co-hosted that show for a year and a half and it was absolutely incredible. And that came from a video that only got, I think 4,000 views. So it didn't go viral by any means, but it just landed on the right person's for you page. So just keep putting your content, keep putting ideas out there. Cause like I said, you never know, you never know which for you page it's going to come across. I mean, uh, my video about the all-star game went it up on Michael Bublé's for you page <laughs> <laughs> not too long ago, just a couple days ago. And that one didn't go, it wasn't viral. I mean, it did pretty good, but it wasn't viral. Um, sorry to interrupt you and take you. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's amazing. Insightful con um, information to have. Um, I wonder if you know what your first video was on TikTok in general. Jeez. Um, I have, I got to think back to this. Was it a sports one? Ooh, my first, you scrolled all the way down my TikTok. Mm -hmm. I can think of a couple it might be, but as far as my first video, um, I don't, I have no idea. It's amazingly <laughs> A TikTok dance of you dancing to Sean Mendez's If I Can't Have You on September 12th, 2019. It's got about 1,500 views. Uh, I, I remember posting that because I thought my abs looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, your first sports-related video was not – you didn't post pretty frequently after that, but your first sports-related video came less than a year after that. It was May 17th, 2020. It was last place baseball fans chirping the Dodgers about back-to-back -back World Series losses. Oh, what was that sound? Oh, I got to remember. Oh, okay. Oh, that was the Kardashian sound. That's exactly. Right. You're, so You're so easy to make insecure. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I remember that. Oh, <laughs> that is, we've come so far. Yes, we've we have. So 
you know, you, so we just talked about making content that, you know, makes you feel good and makes you proud. And I guess kind of Occam's razor a little bit. Sometimes the simplest content is the best content. But what video or what TikTok or what piece of content are you maybe the most proud of? Maybe it hasn't had to have gone viral, but what's something that from ideation to execution, you always look back on and go, wow, I feel so proud that I put out a piece of content like this. Um, I mean, there's, oh, there's a lot of them. Um, I would say from just a creative standpoint, um, one of my favorite ones that I've ever done, and I'm still to this date so proud of, is it was um, one of my favorite movies is The Dark Knight. And I don't know if maybe you saw this TikTok on your on your scroll of my of my profile, but um, I had this sound saved of the scene where the Joker um, is in the pool hall um, after he kills one of the mob bosses and he breaks the the pool. Uh, the, what do they call it? The pool stick? Yeah, the pool cue. Like, pool cue. Thank you. And he's like, we're going to have tryouts. Um, I always wanted to use that sound for something sports related. Um, and I figured it would be for like a team recruiting free agents. Um, but I was ready to use it. And, um, I used it with the Florida Panthers after, uh, beating the Washington Capitals, uh, <laughs> in the first round and recruiting new sports, new, new fans to their team. So I, and coincidentally enough, I had COVID at that time. So I basically call this video my Jordan flu game. <laughs> because <laughs> I literally, I looked sick. Um, I felt sick filming it. But as far as execution goes, as far as, you know, outfit changes, everything, mannerisms, it is by and far one of my favorites. And it didn't, it hasn't done the best. I mean, I think it went over 100,000, which is still a, a great number. I'm very happy with it. But it's just one that I, I look back on and I just smile. I absolutely love it. Um, and then, oh, I would say... Another one I, and it didn't go viral, but any time where I can just like rant about sports. So like I did one where I, I talked about Chris Osgood not being a hall of famer. Um, that's a favorite one for me uh, just because I, I believe far and strongly he shouldn't be. And I think it's a very strong case for that. Anytime I can like argue a case of mine like that. And um, I'm just so confident in it. And I know I'm hitting all cylinders. It's the best feeling. Uh, and that's maybe my Achilles heel in a lot of ways is I feel I have to, before I go into something, I got to be a hundred percent ready. I want to have everything, all my ducks in a row. I want to be ready for every kill shot possible. When in reality, sometimes you just need to start. You just need to dive into something, um, which I had to get over when I started my podcast, but that's definitely a favorite of mine. Uh, I would say no. And then series wise judge, my judging athletes, cameo price is one. Um, I just think, I don't know. I thought that was fun. And I thought of it because I bought uh, a Sean Avery cameo for my brother that was going away to basic training. And from there, I was looking at some of the athletes, what they were charging. I'm like, some of you, like, what, what, why Brooks, like, why are you charging $150 for a video from you? Like you were not that important even as a hockey player. Like, but then I started scrolling through and um, it turned out to be a pretty fun series. So I don't know. There's a lot that I'm proud of. Uh, I'm proud of on that on that page i would say most things that like are and trends are really important on tiktok and like going viral and things like that but my most proud content are things that aren't trends or you know things that i've thought of and things that you know i was able to connect to creative creatively and then also just anytime i'm ranting <laughs> is that how you continue to evolve your content as long as you kind of maintain the connection to what you have do you have a plan for the future of how to keep innovating on your channel 
changes. Um, I, and that's been a fun thing as far as being a content creator, because this space is so new where there's really no set path and no, um, you know, direct way of how to do things and how to grow. And I've just grown by being myself on my channel. And a lot of, you know, I've been for, you know, so many people in this community, you know, have been able to get jobs, you know, full-time jobs and things like that. And um, while that hasn't happened for me yet, um, I'm taking it as a sign that it's still, you know, I got to stick with this and kind of see where it takes me. I'm a big believer where, hey, if, you know, an opportunity for you doesn't work out now, it means there's something better for you down the line. Um, I have to believe that um, in a lot of ways, either not now, either now is not the right time or there's something better for you. So I, you know, as far as, you know, I put a hiatus on my podcast. Uh, my brother's currently battling cancer. So I um, took a hiatus to uh, be a part, to be here for him. But it's about time for me to come back to it. And I, I want to incorporate a few more of that, some more podcast content um, on my channel. And, uh, you know, maybe broadcast a bit more i think i could do a bit more analysis a bit more of you know my opinions and thoughts on things um even though i do love the fun videos and the fun videos do really well but um i liked like i said i like that balanced um so that's my goal for 2023 is just really put more about my ideas out there um keep being creative because that's obviously working really well for me but like i said find that balance because there's there's a happy medium somewhere i'm just trying to find it well, we hope your brother also certainly beats that fight. It's obviously tough for anybody to go through. But we're glad that even through all of the tough stuff that you go through, that you bring us just such amazing content as much as you do. Well, thank you. I, it's it's a great outlet for me. It's a great escape uh, in a way. Just really brings a smile on my face and brings me so much joy. Like I couldn't imagine working a job that I hated during this time. Like I'm pretty fortunate that I, I get to dive in create creatively into something I love so much um, to, you know, um, not necessarily escape. I'll never escape. I, I, I can't escape what I'm going through, but it's certainly uh, something that certainly helps and uh, is a, is a dose of serotonin for me um, uh, even on the tough days. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. We're going to take another quick break. We're going to bring it back to hockey after this little segment. We're going to talk about the upcoming trade deadline. There's a lot of guys who could be moving to a lot of places. We'll be right back in about 30 seconds to talk trade deadline destinations. Do you want to stay in the know on all things Boston Bruins as soon as they happen? For every goal scored, every trade made, every game won. We're right there. We're Stanley Cup of Chowder. Find us at Cup of Chowder on Twitter. You're listening to Unsupervised. Back, Back to your, your host, host, Jake Rice. Welcome back here on Unsupervised. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast so far. Again, you can find us at StanleyCupOfChowder.com and at Cup of Chowder on Twitter. We're here with Annie O'Donnell. You know our sweet Annie O'D on TikTok and Instagram. And we've got the trade deadline coming up in less than a month. You know, the big name, Bo Horvat, already off the board. We're going to talk about that deal in a little bit. But I want to start this uh, segment testing your knowledge a little bit where I'm going to give you a little bit of a lightning round. I put 60 seconds up on the board here. I've got a list of some of the top trade deadline candidates. I'm going to rattle off as many as I can. I want you to tell me where you think they're going to go. You ready? All right, let's do it. Let's go. Timo Meyer forward sharks. New Jersey. 
Jacob Chikrin, defenseman Coyotes. Ooh. Pittsburgh. Patrick Kane, forward for the Blackhawks. I think he stays in Chicago. Jonathan Taze. Winnipeg. John Klingberg of your Ducks. Uh, Boston. Dmitry Kulikov. Edmonton. The Canucks, Luke Shen. Vladislav Gavrikov, Blue Jackets. I think he stays. Nick Bukestad, Coyotes. Vegas. Jesse Puglia-Yarvi, Oilers. <laughs> That'd be a fun one to see, a guy who needs to get out of that market. Um... Wow, some really interesting destinations. Wouldn't have thought John Klingberg to Boston. I've heard lots of rumors about Luke Shen to Boston, but not John Klingberg. I, I mean, for me, the, there's such a history between Boston and Anaheim at the trade deadline. I'm, I'm banking on one of them happening. Um, so I just don't... Boston is obviously not going to want to separate from that first round pick because they desperately need to hang on to it this year. Mm-hmm. But um between that history there i mean we're talking from bob murray and even obviously this past deadline with uh thank you also for taking such good care of sweet hampus lindholm um but uh, there's it it just seems like clockwork at this point um that you know sweeney pays the call pays the call to orange county and says all right (laughs) what do you have for me We are happy to take care of Hampus. He has taken care of our blue line very well, especially at the beginning of the year when Charlie McAvoy was hurt. Um, It definitely sparks a larger conversation about the Bruins. They've got 83 points. They've got a good sizable lead in the points race for the NHL as a whole. You're right talking about that first round draft pick. They need that. They haven't had it the last, oh God, how many number of years? It's really hurt their farm system. But every year we talk about it. Is this the light year Patrice Bergeron has done? David Krejci, we thought was done, has come back. Brad Marchand's a little up there. We kind of lost out on another one with Zidane Chara. We lost out on another one with Tuka Rask. Do, you, do they go all in? Do they just go for depth? What do you think their approach is come deadline time? Interesting. You know, obviously you drop, th- you know, which not to say that, you know, those dropping those last, those three games um, before, you know, I, they beat Toronto, I know, before the, before, uh, the All-Star break. But mm-hmm. not to say dropping those three games was a concern, really. Um, but I think what the kind of the thing that everybody's saying right now is like you have this team that has just been yeah, top to bottom, just unbeatable. And it's funny because I remember doing lots of research over the offseason. They're like, oh, how would you rebuild? Like, when is it time to rebuild the Boston Bruins? And that was the conversation. Meanwhile, it's like, we're night and day from that at this point. It's saying, oh, what needs to happen for the Bruins to make the playoffs? And it's like A, B, and C. Well, A, B, and C have all happened where, you know, Olmark and Swayman are the best tandem in the league. You have David Posternock that's on an absolute tear right now and is absolutely making a case to get rightfully paid this offseason. I mean, you have that blue line that has absolutely stood stood tall. And I I just think at this point, you know, if the Bruins were to just go in to, you know, go into the trade deadline saying, hey, we're good with what we have, they're probably the only team that has an excuse to, not an excuse, but like a valid reasoning to do that. But I don't think they will. I don't think they will because I don't, you know, you're 
you know what's at stake here. You know Patrice Bergeron doesn't have many left. You know this core doesn't have a lot of cup runs in them left. You got to bolster it up. You have to. You, I mean, and you look at all the cup contenders, all the cup champs of past years, all of them have made moves at the deadline. All of them have added something. Even if they were completely content with where they were, I don't, you know, you got to, come playoff time, you never know. And, you know, that's, it's a, as Bruins fans know all too well, it's a completely different game. And sometimes people show, the different guys show up and you need to add those depth guys in there. Cause you know, it's like I said, different game. And that's when, that's when things matter the most. Um, but yeah, I, the Boston. I do think they they make moves up in the deadline. You know, I completely agree with you. Uh, 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 whether it's just for depth, just to switch up something in the bottom six, whether it's a back end defenseman, they will end up doing something. And the trade deadline tends to be one of Don Sweeney's better moments to make decisions. Looking at last year with Hampus Lindholm, looking at 2019 when he brought in Charlie Coyle and the. Um, rental of Marcus Johansson that got them this close to a Stanley Cup victory. It tends to be one of his strong suits. Though I guess top of my board would be a David Pasternak extension before then, so you don't screw yourself cap-wise going into the future. The Bruins have such a tight cap situation right now. If you go for a rental, or I guess we can talk about Bo Horvat now, considering he just signed his extension this afternoon. Bo Horvat being traded from the Vancouver Canucks to the New York Islanders, signed an eight-year, eight-and-a-half million dollar AAV extension. That's so rich for the Bruins blood. I guess I understand why the Islanders did it. It's a little strange. It's a little bit of an overpay considering this has been his best year so far and you don't know what's coming forward, but you need to know your cap situation before you're going to make any big moves. Absolutely. Even that's not a Lou Lamorello type move either, but Here's I that trade is still just a big head scratcher for me from both ends from the Canucks and the Islanders. But I was just I, I honestly I was just replying to a tweet about it not long ago. But to sign an extension with a team where you have yet to play a game for them, you've yet to move there, you've yet to you know lay down roots and live there. Like I I don't know me as you know a regular person, I would want to be like I I think I want to live here for a bit. Like let me I, I'd want to test the waters at free agency too. But you know. If if Bo's bought in, if Bo's you know looking at the the plan for the Islanders' future, which honestly at at this point before the trade deadline, you know you're kind of thinking, yo, this team's getting older. This team is not good offensively. Like there's really Lou's kind of in a tight situation here, like where he's got to either retool or absolutely begin to rebuild up in here. Um, you know, if for for someone to sign eight years and you know eight million dollars, you're just like. What for for a team that was near towards rebuilding, like kind of is nearing there. What what's the change here? What I I'm just kind of I'm still scratching my head. Like I, what kind of vision is being sold to Bo Horvat where he's agreeing to sign on there for eight years? I don't know whether it's necessarily a vision or whether it's free an impending free agent leverage that a guy coming just coming in on a big trade like that can say, "Hey, you just traded for me. You gave up so many assets." What are you going to do to keep me now? And that you take advantage of that moment to get the money that you're looking for. I know someone tweeted that the original offer was eight by eight. So to get eight by eight and a half, 
there's clearly a little bit of a strong arm there. Lou Lamorello was talking at the press conference that announced that extension, and he said verbatim, I don't really want to talk about it. It's too many years and too much money <laughs> to talk about. So I really I think like, that there's some sort of leverage of being a big impending free agent coming in from a trade. Oh, definitely, because you want to say, obviously, the big thing – you know, everyone is asking, you know, everyone asks, oh, who won this trade? And, you know, for the most part, you got to wait until, you know, because if somebody, if it's just a rental, if you get them and, hey, the Islanders don't even make the playoffs, absolutely Vancouver wins the trade and he walks in free agency. But if you lock them down with an extension right away, you know, obviously, you're like, okay, you've got this guy for eight years. You know, he's having a, a career season. You finally get somebody elite to play alongside Matt Barzal, who you just threw the bank at not long ago. You know, at that point, you you're making a stronger case for the Islanders to win the trade. I, it's just Vancouver wise. I just felt like they could have gotten more. I really do. Um, no, no disrespect to Anthony Bavillier. Um, and you've obviously got that first round pick that the Islanders needed so desperately too. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why anyone is shipping. If you're not cup or bust, if you're not absolutely, we're, you know, balls to the walls, we're going in. Hang, you got to hang on to that first round pick. That's why, honestly, you know, I know Ron Hextall of the Pittsburgh Penguins was talking today. That's a team that needs to hang on to that draft pick for dear life because that prospect pool is abysmal. So, especially with a loaded draft like this one coming in in 2023, I don't know. It's people, it's kind of like that trade off, especially because the Penguins are in a different situation. You've got, you know, obviously Crosby, Malkin, and Latang that aren't getting any younger, and the Penguins are obviously showing a lot of signs of struggle this year. You know, what do you do at the deadline? What can you afford to give up? to make this team a playoff contender again. But it's, it's all, it's, that's, it's just why it's my favorite time of year. It's so, as a general manager, you really got to make a lot of calls. You got to, you know, you're basically riding the, either riding the ship one way or the other. You know, the Horvat extension approach was actually somewhat similar to the Hampus Lindholm approach Sweeney took last year. I think there was maybe a week in between when the trade happened and when the extension happened, but it was something bang, bang, very, very quick to sign that eight-year extension in Boston, and... We're lucky it's paying dividends right now, but we'll never know down the line. And you're right about if you're not um, all in on the cup, it, you got to keep those assets as much as you can. You have to learn how to build from within just as much as sign free agents. You know, the free agent pool this year is going to be really interesting. And the straight deadline is obviously going to be interesting. But the Canucks could have waited a little bit longer. I actually have it in my notes right here. I think they could have waited a week longer. My biggest team to look at during the trade deadline is the Carolina Hurricanes. Un really unfortunate what happened to Max Pacioretty with his Achilles injury, but they just moved him to LTIR. It gave them $7 million more in cap space. They've now got just over $10 million in usable cap space. You probably That's could have gotten so much more from Carolina than you could have from the Islanders. That's huge. Huge space. I... I uh... I don't know. I feel like the worst spot to be in as a general manager is when, you know, you got to make moves, but you got no money to do it. And even Vegas, I mean, Mark Stone just had surgery. So they've opened up a good number of caps, uh, good, some, some dollars there for them too. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do at the deadline. I'm the team I'm watching the most right now is the San Jose Sharks though. I am very intrigued to see what Mike Greer does and what he's willing to give up for a guy like Timo Meyer. I Eric Carlson's not going anywhere. There's no uh, no team is going to give up three first round picks for a 19 person. If that is the if that rumored um, you know, deal where it was like, oh, three first round picks and they're willing to take on 19% of the cap hit. I was like, yo, if I'm giving wow. up three first round picks, 
if I'm giving up three first round picks, you better be taking on more than 19%. But, um, you know, just money wise and everything, I just don't think he's not a movable guy. I think he stays put. But Timo Meyer, if you're going to trade him, now's the time to do it. I keep seeing Timo Meyer to New Jersey. I like, I love that. Uh, I like Timo Meyer in New Jersey. And there's a lot of, obviously, uh, appeal there with him being a restricted free agent. So that's leverage that San Jose can use. Obviously, that qualifying offer of $10 million is a thorn in the side. But uh, New Jersey can take that on. They've got the cap space to do it. Um, and that's, that's a big, you know, it's always, you know, you can rumor, you know, you can talk about teams that, you know, players would be great on. It would be great. But obviously, the cap and the hard cap uh, is is obviously a buzzkill for, for, for a lot of teams there. Boston University West. I'm sorry, I mean San Jose. I love Mike Greer and I love David Quinn University as BU guys, <laughs> but they've certainly got an interesting rebuild coming up and so do your Ducks in the midst of one. You know, you have some core players in Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, Jamie Drysdale. What's their approach at this deadline? Oh, it's sell. I mean, you got to, you know, we're still in rebuild mode. We got to clear some space here and get, you know, a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk uh, for a, a playoff team that needs a solid second, third pairing defenseman uh, going into the playoffs, a guy that knows how to win a cup, that knows how to play in the playoffs, I think could get, if not uh, a solid player, maybe a draft pick out of him. Uh, Adam Henrique having a solid year too. I mean, scoring goals, living up to his, his most of his contract, I would say. Um, if they decide to move him and take on a little bit of that money, I think that would be an interesting move as well. And I think Klingberg is, is a for sure goner. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of calls asking about a rental player and a guy like Jonathan Klingberg, which that honestly, I think was a big, I think a big benefit to that one year, $7 million uh, deal he handed out over the summer. Obviously Klingberg wanted that longer term, but given that that wasn't the case, changing uh, representation and, you know, the Ducks saying, Hey, come play with us. We had a solid, you know, first half last year, a lot of young talent here. You don't like it. You know, we're, we're in the bottom of the standings, which of course now they are, you know, we'll, we'll ship you out to a contender. We'll ship you out somewhere where, you know, you can go chase a cup. So there's a lot of options. It'll be interesting to see what Pat Verbeek does and how, how locked he was very, he was busy, you know, at the deadline, literally, you know, obviously the Raquel trade, well, the Hampus Lindholm trade happened what a week well, no, not a week, maybe a couple days before the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. But that Ricard Raquel trade came in like just and obviously the uh, Evgeny, <laughs> the rejected uh, Evgeny Dodonov trade mm -hmm. uh, with Vegas, of course. So um, lots of creative ways. I'm sure given how loaded this draft is, um, he's going to you know, keep uh, hoping. Uh, I want to say they have multiple second round picks this year. So maybe ship one of those out too. We'll see. We'll see. Lots of options here for the Ducks, but um, it should be. I'm I'm hoping Gibby stays a Duck. Um, I I think uh, there's obviously he's always thrown around at the trade deadline, especially given there's teams that need a goaltender, uh, going into the playoffs here. So uh, we'll see though. It's uh, I'll see what Pat Verbeek does. Klingberg taking a little bit of a page out of Taylor Hall's playbook, taking that one-year prove-it deal that Hall did in Buffalo, which everybody thought that was a head-scratcher, turned it into a trade to Boston and an extension there. We'll see if it works out just as well for Klingberg. I don't know if Klingberg will get that, get get a, a, a Taylor Hall or a Hampus Lindholm type extension. If, if, my, if my prediction is right that he goes to Boston and maybe... I, 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 and listen, I was like, it was, it was wrapping around, but I like that fit there. And I think, listen, a ducks, a ducks Bruins trade is bound to happen. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be a, it's that show me deal. It's that hey, let's let's see if this works, and if not, you know, we'll, we'll send you on your way. But I think it'll also be interesting, given the fact that Pat Verbeek really hasn't done a lot this year, with the exception of picking up Jason Megna off waivers. So not to say he's tanking, because Gary Bettman says that NHL teams don't tank. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's uh, he's definitely in that rebuild set mind, which is honestly a relief to see, especially after Bob Murray was just delaying the inevitable and like pushing against the against the pushing against the car mm-hmm. eventually going off the cliff trying to stop it but um that's what needs to happen you know not every team is as fortunate as the boston bruins and avoids a complete <laughs> and total overhaul but um yeah it's it's nice to see that we're finally bought into a direction and that the you know, the young talent up and coming is is the future is bright so yeah it's it's time to get busy if you're pat verbeek Bruins fans, imagine a right side defense of Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, John Klingberg, Connor Clifton. That's pretty intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up here. Annie, we so appreciate you having uh, you on the inaugural, I guess, revival show of Unsupervised. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been quite the honor and such a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely. And for all you Bruins fans here on Stanley Cup of Chatter, we're going to be coming at you weekly with podcasts, new guests, talking about everything going on Boston Bruins. Just remember, there's always something brewing every single day. I'm Jake Reiser. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Unsupervised. If it's happening with the Boston Bruins, we're in the know, and we're talking about it. Giving you the inside scoop. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, review, and hey, share it with some friends. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with Jake on Twitter at Jake Riser and find Stanley Cup of Chowder at Cup of Chowder. And of course, engage with us and find out more at StanleyCupOfChowder.com. See you next time on Unsupervised. Mm-hmm.